when uh, Tony, Dave, and I sat around back in the fall to plan out this series that we could launch together and, and go through and, and grow together in our knowledge of Christ and our living for Christ, we really discussed deeply why is it that we do what we do as followers. Uh, and, and I love that Tony said, you know what, we do our faith, we do Christianity because we are compelled to do so. And I couldn't help but think one of the reasons why we live out our faith right, is because of gratitude. And what I mean is we, we, it's very quick and easy to forget that we were once in Adam, destined for doom. But because of Christ and this new life, we are now in Christ and we have eternal life to come. We have the Holy Spirit to allow us to live and we have an eternal hope to cling to even when life really stinks. And that's why we are compelled to Christ. And that's why Christ compels us and controls us and that is why we live for him. And so today, church fam, we're talking about why are we compelled to church and why are we compelled, why I am compelled to my church. And so even though we'll be spending time in Ephesians and we'll see Paul interacting with the church at Ephesus, I'm going to interact with you all because this message today is for us as a church. Back when I first started going to DTS, I didn't know what God was calling me to do. I thought I was going to go into mission field. That was my original plan. But then I started working here. Um, But in spring of 2016, I took ST105, Sanctification and Ecclesiology with Dr. Michael J. Spiegel, and it rocked my world. Because the course focused on the church. And so as we studied what is the church, what is the purpose of church, and how church should be done, my mind was spinning in circles because of my experience in church growing up in the different churches that I was a part of. Dr. Spiegel also authored a book called Retro Christianity. And uh, besides being one of his reads, because he was the teacher, so we had to read what he wrote. uh, But it took me as a reader through church history, where the inception of the church, as we studied in Acts, you know, earlier this year to today, where we are in evangelicalism, it's what has happened to go from this original grand idea of what was intended for church to where we are today, again, my world was rocked. So I started questioning things like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? But, but most importantly, this course established my passion for the local church. You know, it can be very easy to become cynical when we look at church in today's culture. In various conversations that I had, whether with people here or my circle of friends outside of this church, believer and non-believer, I was asking them questions in preparation for this sermon about their experience and their thoughts on church. And this was some of the things that they had to say um, about it. The world sees church as organized religion because their observations show that church may resemble a corporation more than a family. Or another friend said that, well, it seems that church cares more about attendance and money than soul care. Or another friend said that those who are part of a church often get frustrated because their hands may feel tied, or if they don't like something, they just leave and find a new church. But then talking to some of my fellow clergy friends that don't go here, they say that pastors get tired and frustrated because they feel as if it's like pulling teeth to try and help get their flock to be active in their faith. 
But you know what? I have hope. I have hope because of Christ. I have hope and I choose hope because I've seen the beauty of the church these last two days. We see in Scripture that God is for the church. He wants every single local church to not just exist. He wants him to thrive because she is the bride of Christ. And the reality is that churches just need to be faithful and obedient to the Scriptures and obedient to the will of God in order to thrive. And that's why I love Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, but we'll be going through 12 through 16. Because we live fully into what Paul wrote through what the Spirit gave him from God himself. We can see a church grow. And I'm not talking about attendance. I'm talking about maturity. And that's when exciting and great things happen. Let's pray before we dig into the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Father, as we see your intentions for church, as we see how we live out church, Lord... I pray that we want to jump in even more so. I thank you for the testimony of Jay and Monica. Lord, I pray that every single person this week is not inspired because of what Chang said, but Lord, I pray that they are compelled because of what your son did and accomplished and who he is, that we live into being the church. Father, as a church, we pray for our dear friends, the Macapuses. Lord, we pray for the, the, the family of, of Grayson. Father, again, we don't know why you do things, but we know in your word it says that you are a good God, you are a sovereign God, and that you waste nothing. And Lord, personally, this morning, that is what I cling to in the midst of hurt and pain and misunderstanding. Father, I thank you that because of Christ, we know where Micah is today in the presence of your Son in glory. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for our hearts, our spirits, Lord. Open our minds, our ears, our hearts to your word today, Lord. May you receive all the glory. May you be magnified. It's in your son's name. Amen. I was supposed to click through this during the intro. The building is not a church. The called out ones, the saints, the brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the church. This is just the building that we come and hang out in when we do our God stuff. That's a theological term. But in Ephesians 4, 12 through 16, it reads this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and defeatful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Very simple instruction that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus, to us today, to all of the local churches in this world on how to do church. But to understand even more so what Paul is writing, I'm just going to give you a simple outline of the background because that is how my brain works. So in Ephesians 4, he begins this section from here through chapter 6 about unity, 
What is the importance of unity and what unity really is for us as followers of Christ? And so he talks about how to maintain church unity in verses 1 through 3 here. He talks about the basis of church unity, which is Christ himself, the Son of God. He then talks about grace gifts in verses 7 through 10, the spiritual gifts that Christ gives to each single believer upon their faith through the Holy Spirit that they use to build up the church, to make the name of Jesus famous. And in the verse 11, Paul writes about the, the gifts of leadership that Christ gives to the local church and what their task is. The reason today I'm focusing on verses 12 through 16 is because verse 11 is a sermon in itself. And, but we will touch on that very so slightly today as well as we study this. But verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, I'm going to present to you two views that have been given because to fully understand correctly how we're supposed to do church and what is the role of a pastor within a church, we have to interpret this verse correctly because if we get this right, then we can get everything else right. If we get this wrong, then everything is another word I learned in seminary. But you have two views when you look at this passage. So Jesus gave the leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. If you don't understand Greek prepositions, you can get this wrong. And so view one is interpreted as the leaders of the church equip the saints, they do the work of the ministry, and they build up the body of Christ. That is incorrect. What is important to understand is that Jesus gives the leaders to the church to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry so they can help be a part of building up the body of Christ. That's church. So my job as a pastor is to equip you all to help get you excited to do what we're compelled to do. And then your job is to jump in the game and do your thing and see this bride here, this local bride, thrive and make a mighty noise for the name of Christ here in Cypress, Texas. That's church. We do it together. This takes the view of church leadership from a priesthood of leaders to understand that as a church we are a priesthood of believers, such as given in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So going into equipping the saints, the job and the duty for me as a pastor here is to equip you all for the work of the ministry. The word for equip is karatismas, which means I am to supply you with the items that are needed for a particular task. And here you have a medical imagery given that is one of restoring bones, the setting of broken bones. So again, my job as a pastor here is to come alongside you and our other pastors to help mend you to help restore you for your proper use for the sake of Jesus Christ. That is what equipping the saints means. And the way they did that back in the early church is that they would do three things. They would teach the Old Testament, the scriptures. They would teach the stories of Israel, the promises of God. They would teach how Jesus is seen in the Old Testament text. Secondly, they would teach the oral traditions of Jesus. Literally what Jesus did, literally what Jesus taught. The words that came from Christ were the very words that they would teach the church. 
That's how they would equip them. And then lastly, the traditions of the early church. This is the confessions about the roots of faith, what the original 12 apostles taught. That is how they equipped the church. Because the ultimate goal of a church leader is for the church to become spiritually mature. That is God's desire for the church, is spiritual maturity. That is our aim always. And for me as a pastor, I have to make sure that I'm teaching sound doctrine in that manner then. I have to make sure that I am continually and never stopping teaching doctrine to equip you all. It's not, I taught you this one time seven years ago, you should be good. That is what continual equipping looks like. And that is the the scary and fun task that I have to do. Therefore, I as a church pastor can never be lazy. Because this equipping of the saints is a serious thing to do. My job as a pastor is also to help you find and discover your spiritual gifts and have you put them to practice, to use them for the sake of the church. As a pastor, my job is to make sure I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not a CEO. I'm a coach. I'm a player coach. San Francisco 49ers. Right now they're in the playoffs. I'm not a 49ers fan, but I do like the story of Brock Purdy. He's their starting quarterback right now. He went to Iowa State. He was the last person selected in an NFL draft, so he's called Mr. Irrelevant. What that means is he really has no shot at making the team, that, that if he makes it, he's probably going to get cut anyways. Well, due to some injuries, he is now the starter, and he has played magnificently. And is it because he's Tom Brady? No, there's only one Tom Brady. But he has some pretty great coaching You see, his coaches have helped him look good because they have taken the playbook to adapt to his skills, his strengths, his giftings. The coaches have allowed him to make calls when he sees something that might need to change up. The coaches have given him the permission to call audibles. The coach will show him what he should do in practice, not just stand on the sidelines and go, throw the ball a little more to the left. He'll go in there and say, you see him? Throw the ball in that direction. You make that read, you hand the ball off here. The coach shows him what to do. The coach continually adapts everything to his gifting in order for the team to have success and to move forward. The coach continues to let him play after he throws an interception. He doesn't just bench him, but he does coach him on the sideline and say, hey, that throw you made right there, if you do this, this, and this, that probably wouldn't happen. And the coach then trusts him and lets him go back into the game and play. That's how the coach equips Brock Purdy That is my job with you all as the flock here at CBC. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to train you. I'm supposed to equip you. And I'm supposed to empower you. And I'm supposed to say, go! Do your thing. And let's celebrate mightily what will be done and accomplished through your gifting. Because us as pastors, we are here to root you on, to support you, and to coach you as needed. So we do this so you can do the work of the ministry, the service to the church. The Greek word here is diakonia, diakonia, sorry. This gives the imagery of a servant, right? So you're a servant in service, a servant to serve. So this church is a training ground, and so we are the called out ones. But when we look at verse 12 earlier, as we see right here, it can be very easy to fall into the mentality of view number one. We need something done? Well, we'll just hire some more paid professionals to do it. We need something done. Let's go get a pastor and get them to do it. That's not how it works. 
we need something done, we want something done, the pastor says, all right, I see you can do this, this, and this, and this. All right, we can help you with this. Let's do this. You run like the wind, and let's see what's done. It's fun, too, for me as a pastor to see our flock use their gifting and to run freely with it is exciting. Paul was very clear in chapter 4, verses 7, that these spiritual gifts that are given to you through Christ are to be used. So we, as members here at CBC, must use our spiritual gifts. Not we should, we must, if we want this church to grow in maturity and becoming more Christ-like. There are verses in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. We're not going to go through all those. Jeremy uh, preached on that months ago, but basically Romans 12, 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, Ephesians 4, 11, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. If you didn't get those, that's okay. I'm sure we'll use the magic of social media to show you those this week, or we might email you something out. But these gifts that were given to us upon our conversion to our faith through the Holy Spirit are to be used for the local church. Now, there are implications that these are to be used outside the local church, right? We're supposed to use these to make disciples of all nations, but practically speaking today, we're focusing on what Paul wants us to do within the context of the local church. We use our gifts to glorify God, not for selfish gain. And it's fun when you use your gifts to serve the church. You should always think, I am being equipped to equip. But there's a twofold part here. Number one is that we use our gifts in a local church setting. But number two is that we should be training up others to use their gifts to fill our roles. I love that we have people that have served in roles for so many years, these legacy volunteers. It is truly noble and honorable. But how can we take that a step further? Think about how awesome it would be to say, hey, you person, let me train you up and build you up so that you can take my role here so I can go do something else somewhere else, right? And then continue that and continue that and continue that to where everyone is in here. That is what it means to be equipped to equip. So number one, if you're not using your gifts at all, you should be using them. And number two, if you're using your gifts, awesome. Keep going. How do you get others in the game to do so alongside you? And we do this to build up the body of Christ. The spiritual strengthening of the believers, all the believers in the local church. We're bodybuilders, and it's time for gains. Sam Sharif likes that statement. And Paul gives even more specifics into why growth is needed and how growth happens later on. And so you see these slides that are Church 101, like, sorry, this is ST 105. This is what you need to know about the church, right? Leaders must equip their flock, and leaders must serve alongside their flock. And this is not one that is to be taken lightly. And God will call me out one day on Judgment Day, and he'll say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And that's why I take this very seriously. Because I want to see you all thrive. I need to equip you all, and not just equip you all, but equip you all correctly. Number two, every follower of Jesus has spiritual gifts and is commanded to use them to build up the church. No, there's no, there's no maybe should I do it or not. You're commanded to do it. You take what you have learned through us as pastors, and you use your gifts, and you do your thing because you're compelled by Christ. New Testament scholar Richard Koken says that we don't just want members to turn up expecting to be served like members of a golf club, but ministers who come to church expecting to serve others. CBC, we need you. The local church needs you. CBC here needs you. And the great thing is everyone can be a starter. There are no scrubs when it comes to spiritual gifts. Everyone is capable of being a starter. Do you want to practice your gifts 
to be one here because we can use you. But Paul continues in verses 13 and 14. He gives two purposes and another one later on on why we need to use our gifts to build up the church, why leaders are to equip. Because the first one is we can attain a unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God. We can come to mature manhood and then we can measure, meet the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unity, maturity, and stature is the first purpose of why we are equipped to use our gifts. Church unity is theme here, is key here. It's described as oneness and harmony, but even more interestingly, unity already exists amongst believers through the Holy Spirit. So every time that we pray for unity, we're praying incorrectly. We already have unity. We pray to maintain unity. We pray to preserve unity. That is biblical unity. So when you use the word unity, think about that, not, Lord, let us come together. We already are together. Lord, teach us, help us, remind us that we need to stay together. That is unity. Understanding this will define it clearer and help us see even more the importance of why we should do what we should do. But the second aspect there is doctrinal unity, the knowledge of the Son of God. This means that we agree on major doctrinal issues. The Trinity, Jesus is both fully God and fully man, the atoning death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the virgin birth, the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the Bible. If there's a disagreement on these core doctrines, then we need to have a serious talk because these are non-negotiables of our faith. Now, secondary things, that's where we need to learn to have grace. That's where we need to be careful that those don't become primary things. And we especially don't want to be jerks about tertiary matters. Dare I say preferences. The things that really might not mean much in the grand scope of things. But doctrinal unity only happens through the body knowing the word of God together as they are being equipped by their pastors. Mature manhood. We mature together. This is a corporate saying. He's not saying individually. He's saying you as a church, you strive for mature manhood. So really it should be beginning where we are, becoming more like Jesus together. It is not individualistic. We have holiness that we are called to live to, but we are called to live to holiness in community. That is what Paul writes about in all of his letters. Christ is the goal when it comes to the church for maturity, sanctification, and transformation. And the second purpose of why pastors are to equip the, the, sta uh, the flock is number two, is so that they're no longer like children being tossed to and fro. Don't be immature like children is what Paul's saying. If you don't equip your flock, they're going to be like kids. Think about a three-year-old playing with a toy. They pick it up, see something else, they drop it and go play with that. They pick up that toy, drop it, see an empty box, they go and play with that. Then a, a toilet paper roll, whatever. Children don't know what they want because they are immature. I should say a child doesn't know what they need. They only do what they want. That is the immaturity of children. We're not to be like that. And then he continues on. Think of a rowboat in the sea. You have crashing waves. What's a rowboat going to do? It's going to go wherever the waves go. That's what immaturity does in the life of a believer. But wait, there's more. Paul says, what about winds of doctrine? Paul's giving a general warning to the church to be careful of false teaching. Right? The false teachings are the, the, all the different teachings that are trying to infect the church. Now, the church at Ephesus, he didn't have specific ones that were attacking them. But he says still, be on guard. 
because you had all the false teachers that, that were cunning and crafty. The cunning in the Greek shows an, uh, gives an idea of rolling dice, of being a, a gambler, cheating, trickery. But then craftiness, this is a deceit that references the serpent deceiving Eve in the garden back in Genesis 3. That is what false teachers do in churches. They infiltrate intentionally and manipulate to try to throw the flock off. They want the flock to jump off the ledge as opposed to graze in the grass. And these false teachers were the Judaizers who were faith plus works and syncretism, which is Jesus plus folk and cultural beliefs, or docetism, which that Jesus wasn't fully man. These were the teachings trying to infiltrate the church back then. But today, we hear things like all religions are the same. That if you're a good person, you can go to heaven surely. Or the Bible is just one of many religious books. So Matthew 17 is very clear. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is why churches must mature together. This is why churches do life together. Dave preached about this last week, specifically on the Word of God. Right? We dig into the Scriptures. We are to be like Bereans. Bereans basically see what's told and say, hold on, let me go check it up. All right, we can trust this guy. Right? We don't just trust blindly. So whatever I say today, you should go home and read it and make sure that Chang isn't teaching incorrectly. And if I do, you say, Chang, you were wrong. And I will say, my bad. Because that's what we do. Right? We cross-check one another. That's how we become mature. Iron sharpens iron. So Church 101, transformation happens in community. Maturity comes best when we are connected with one another. The church body here at CBC, we can only get better, stronger, and healthier if we will commit and grow together in maturity. But then Paul closes it out in 15 and 16 with the final purpose of why leaders equip the church for the work of the ministry. The final purpose is, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ, who is the head of the church. There's two things here. We speak the truth in love. Right? This is truthing. It literally means living truth, thinking truth, and doing truth constantly. And what is truth? It's whatever God says. Whatever God says is the truth. I love that. But we speak that in love. See, there's a tension though, right? Because you have team speak truth only, and you have team love only a lot of times. Teams speak truth only. They is someone who loves to find a doctrinal error and will point it out with no fear and saying, you were wrong. Team truth only is ready to bludgeon someone with their knowledge. Our studying and understanding of Scripture is not supposed to be about what we know and telling everyone how much we know and even scaring maybe how much more I know than you. We know Scripture to equip and train, not to blab. We don't want to be clanging symbols like in 1 Corinthians 13. But if your team loving only, that's just as dangerous. Where you become so passive that you desire unity over holiness. That we allow false teachings to happen. We allow sin to be lived out because we don't want to be confrontational. I just want to let everyone love and be loved. We can't say that our faith is simple to understand. Because focusing on the simplicity of the gospel to justify not needing to study and learn the whole counsel of God through the scriptures is lazy dangerous, disobedient, dare I say, sinful. So we have balance. Teach in love. Correct in love. 
You learn in order to love. John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, said this, Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch. Their muscles ripple and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Speaking truth in love involves compassion and also seeks out what is best for the other person. Speaking the truth in love is literally being Christ-like, as in John 1.14, which says that Jesus, God in the flesh, was full of grace and truth. We speak truth in love. Oh, I meant to show this graphic the entire time. Brain, heart, astronaut, because we did Acts and Bible, that's truth. There's your quick notes. But going back to verse 16, he talks about the corporate body growing into the head of Christ, but now he goes from whom the body with joints that hold together as it's equipped. So now he's going from the shift from the corporate aspect to the individual aspect. He's saying specifically here that each member has their role and duty that they must use to build up the church. We see two implications here of what it means to grow into Christ. Number one, when it's your physical body, that Christ is the head of the church. So as a church, we must remember that Jesus provides the leadership, that he gives guidance on what to do, that he gives direction on how and where to go. Christ as the head of the church means his ways over our ways on what we think church should be. Because a church that moves like Christ, thinks like Christ, and acts like Christ will make God's heart smile. And number two, think physically. Of a child when he's growing, right? I'm not going to lie, this is probably really rude, but I think it's funny when kids, their heads are too big and their bodies are too small and they're walking like this because they can't balance, right? Because their head's too big and their, their body, it's not, it's not mature enough to match it. That's the imagery we're supposed to have when it comes to that. We have to fit our head size. And what that means is that if the body's not growing, you're going to be a bobblehead. <laughs> Seriously. Right? A small body can't support a head that big. All it does is this. Jesus is furiously shaking his head, trying to get you to move, and the body can't move. Right? The only reason that body can stand, because the foundation of Christ is Jesus, and he won't let it fall. But it won't move unless it grows. We need a healthy, proportional church body to be effective. The joints, the ligaments, the muscles, the bones, everything has a purpose. Everyone in this room has a purpose within the context of this church. And we need you to live into that purpose. Weak joints lead to a weak body going back to bodybuilding, right? It's not just about having big biceps or a huge lat spread. You need proportion. Your quads matter. Aesthetic matters. We don't want lumpy weirdo bodies. We want a nice looking body. That's the church. We want our body to be proportional all into the head whom is Christ. That's why we have to mature. That's what a maturing body does. And the church will only grow as it should when each member contributes. So Church 101, we teach doctrine in love and we correct in love. We always speak the truth in love. I want to invite the worship team up as we're about to wrap up. We need to know sound doctrine and we need to use our gifts. I need you to use your gifts. All of the pastors here need you to use your gift. Christ needs you and demands you to use your gifts. And please, no bobblehead churches. We can laugh about that, but seriously, we need everyone so we can mature 
together into Christ, the head, so we can move together. So this week, what we want you all to do as a church when it comes to our weekly challenges is we want you to learn your spiritual gifts. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, we want you to help find them. So in your booklets, there is a QR code to a PDF file that you can open, print, and you can actually take a spiritual gifts inventory. And what we're going to want you to do is in your profile on the hub system, which is our internal communication system, you can actually input your top three gifts into there. And what that does is it allows us as a pastoral staff here, you know, even with our admin as well, we can come together and see, hey, what are things we can start to create so we can get everyone in the game? But we need to know your spiritual gifts in order to do that. And so we'll be sending out a video this week talking about that and giving you more instruction to clarify how to do so. But second of all, we want you to memorize Scripture, right? Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the end of all of this, you're going to have memorized the Romans road. Just another way you can share and testify to the saving faith that is in Jesus alone to those around you. We want you to read the book of Philippians every day this week. 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. Read it every day and see the glory of the Lord through whom Christ is. Did you pray this week? Pray. Praise God for your church family. Thank him for your church family. But also pray that God will specifically show you how you need to move in order to help build this body up. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the words that you give us through Paul in Ephesians. Lord, may we not take lightly what it means to be the church. May we not take lightly our duty to this church because we are compelled by your son. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation which allows us to play a part in the maturing and growing of this church. Father, I pray a mighty prayer of hope knowing that the best is still yet to come as everyone in this church family comes together and we come together and grow all for your glory. Lord, we give this all up to you. We give our lives to you. May your will be done in all. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.